Thanks, Tom. Well, it's been uh, a privilege. I've served on the search team uh, with Chris and Bob as well, and it really has been a privilege to to partake in that. And my impression of Ben was very much this was a man I'd very I'd be honored to follow. So I'm excited for you guys to to meet him as well next week. Uh, if you would, we're walking through Proverbs, and we're going to continue our, our series there. And again, Proverbs is a book in the Bible, anointed by God, breathed by God, written by men, uh, a lot of them by uh, Solomon. And so we are going to be in Proverbs 5 today. And the title of the day is called Love Drunk, Embracing God's Design for Sexuality. And so my desire today is to, to elevate the concept of sexuality in my heart and in your heart uh, to a point of majesty, to a point of glory and grandeur, uh, and really to a point of worship. That I believe everyone sitting in here is a sexual being, and I believe the end purpose of that is so that we might experience and know Jesus Christ more fully. And so my, my desire and my prayer is that when, when the concept of sex or sexuality is presented before us, which is constant in our culture, that one of the first places that our hearts and that our minds go is to worship, where we can have a, uh, almost a knee-jerk reaction when I'm exposed to some, something uh, partaking, pertaining to my sexuality, uh, my thoughts and my heart goes to this picture of God and how he wants to take over and infiltrate that part of my life. Uh, knowing that this is such a very personal, very powerful, very deep conversation, uh, I realize that I, I will not give the sensitivity that I probably desire to give every unique situation out here. That all of us have some commonalities in our sexuality, but all of us have a very, very unique story. And whether that's... Um, pains from the past of things that we have engaged in or things that have been done to us or whether that's present struggles. Uh, we are everywhere from, you know, little kids in here to 80-year-old plus. And so we are all on a very different place with the outpouring of our sexuality. Uh, however, again, I think this is pertinent to each one of us and because I think this truly is one of God's um, very intentional uh, things that he placed within us, and he's got intentional purposes for it. And so uh, I'm going to pray just for our protection, and again, I ask that you would uh, just be gracious and open to let God speak to you, knowing that I am not going to do it justice. We are just going to touch something that hopefully will uh, open up conversation with people or will inspire you to tackle something that you've never tackled uh, or just to grow your picture of yourself as a sexual being and how you use that to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your protection. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you that I can call you Father, uh, that I know that you hear me uh, because of what Jesus Christ has done on my behalf. Uh, you desire to be known by us, that your word says we are made in your image, and so we all come underneath you and want to see you more clearly so that we can understand ourselves more fully. We want to bring you glory today. And God, I do pray just for extra grace and extra mercy um, for all the hearts that are out here. 
uh, whatever, whatever is needed um, on such a personal, intimate level would you grant. You are the great I am, and so we call upon you with boldness um, because you said we could, and you have given us a voice uh, because of our exchange, because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we come underneath that and trust that you will give us your favor and your blessing. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Proverbs 5, verse 15 through 20. If you guys are up for it, and if you're able, can you stand while I read this to you? <clears throat> Proverbs five fifteen says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? You can be seated. Okay, so flowing water, well, uh, all of this is talking about sex. The context, uh, the first 15 verses in Proverbs chapter 5 are a warning against adultery. Basically, adultery is engaging in sex outside or a married individual engaging in sex with someone other than their spouse. And so in Proverbs, it's using that as a picture uh, that can be applied specifically to an actual adulterous scenario, uh, or it can be used as a picture for all sin, where God uses marriage uh, in high detail and very often uh, when he's describing his relationship with his people. So Jesus Christ is considered the bridegroom and his people, the church, are considered the bride. And so all through scripture you get this picture of marriage, um, really the, the, the full picture of marriage, where I believe on earth we just have this, this small taste of it that's, that's temporary. Uh, but God continues to say, your relationship with me is like a marriage. Your relationship with me is a covenant and a, a situation that produces oneness. And so any time that I go outside of that relationship, any time that I choose any kind of sin, it says that's adultery, being unfaithful to my lover, God. And at the same time, it's idolatry. It's worshiping something other than God. So the context of, of our piece of scripture here is a warning against adultery. And basically it's saying that, uh, that she, the adulteress uh, or sin, is, is very tempting and appealing. It promises good things that it can never truly deliver. It promises something good, but it always ends in destruction. And so that's the context as we get into this command that says, obviously there's danger there, do not do that, but here's what you are to do. You are to drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. So the first command is do engage in marital sex. Why? Sex is the highest form of physical oneness that exists. And it's designed to include your body, your soul, and your spirit. So it's the highest form of physical oneness that God has created, but it's not strictly physical. It's created and designed to grab every part of you as a person, to grab your heart, to grab your soul, to grab your mind, to grab your spirit and, and unite with another person. And so when it's talking about oneness... If uh, you ought to hear echoes of Genesis, uh, when Jesus makes Adam, and he says, it's not good for you to be alone, 
And so he takes from Adam, Eve, and he fashions a woman. And then he brings Eve to Adam as a father would march a bride on her wedding. And he creates marriage. And he says, the two shall become one flesh, the husband and the wife. So this is the first marriage. Uh, the Hebrew word for one, when it says the two shall become one flesh, is echad. E-C-H-A-D. Echad. And so when God presents Adam and Eve together, he says there's something, something magical, something mystical that happens when a man and a woman enter into marriage covenant. And it's they become one flesh. And akkad means uh, multiple members or several parts that become one. And so this, obviously, is a man and a woman who are different, who are unique, but they enter into this oneness. And as far as become one flesh, this is talking about the sexual relationship that they're going to share that's unique. Uh, in Jewish times, and, and still it's in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the most uh, probably popular little pieces of scripture that was tradition for them to pray before meals, after meals, at uh, funerals, wedding ceremonies, before bed, very, very common is in Deuteronomy, it says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is Echad. And so over and over and over, this was kind of their declaration. And so it's the same word. And that is talking about the Lord being one, the Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being one. Multiple parts, one. Same word. And so the desire is when we look at marriage, when we look at sex, when we look at this oneness, God is saying that is supposed to give you a picture of the dance of the Trinity. That is supposed to give you a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. So why engage in this? Why regularly engage in this? Because it's the highest form of oneness? Because sex helps couples reconnect from the disconnect that's caused through everyday life. So we know that in our culture especially, uh, if because of busyness, because of the drive for success, because of all the responsibilities and the demands and the pulls on you, it is very, very easy to be disconnected from the people that you're closest with. We hear this all the time. You experience this where you think, man, I'm, I feel very disconnected with my dad. I feel very disconnected with my son or my daughter. I feel very disconnected with my spouse, my friends. Uh, many times uh, you hear the idea of, well, we, we just exist as roommates. So part of the reason that God, I think, has created sex and asks us to partake in that regularly is to kind of wage war against this division, wage war against this um, inclination to disconnect and be distracted by the other poles in our life. And if you think about it, if you are committed to engage between a husband and a wife in marital sex regularly, it almost promotes and forces you to try and strive to connect outside of the bedroom. Because you don't really desire to sexually connect with someone that you're really mad at. And so it promotes you to exercise kindness. It promotes you to reconcile differences. Because if I'm going to pursue my wife sexually, I want to make sure the other things are either out of the way that would cause division, or the other things are in place that would make that a good celebration and declaration. So it doesn't only... It declares oneness... It demonstrates oneness, and it promotes 
oneness in all areas of your life? It's connection. In fact, there's a lot of scholars that believe the word sex comes from sect. Uh, S-E-C-T, like we would say dissect, um, to, to take apart. And so the idea is, there is there's something inherently wrong in the world. There's something wrong with relationships. And so there's a, there's a separation. And sex, you could say, is almost this desire to, to reconnect. Uh, I don't know, but I, I wonder if, if it is the draw that when Eve was taken from Adam and his maleness reflects a lot of the image of God and her femaleness reflects the image of God, where there is a strength and a beauty, that are we forever striving to get back together again? Are we forever striving to, to commune again? And again, there's so many different ways to connect. Um, it, this is not just sexually, but within the context of marriage and in our piece of scripture here, uh, it seems like God has, has presented this in a way that is, is heightened to share and to reconnect, and sex is connecting. Sex makes your spouse feel loved. Uh, this is especially true, I think, generally for men, but the desire is, is to... My spouse may know that I love her, but, and guys are guilty of this all the time. Well, I gave her a ring, so why do I have to tell you this anymore? That doesn't work, right? We are insecure people, and we continue need affir- continually need affirmed. And so that's why it's good to say and to voice what's in your heart. I love you. Let the person know it. Show it by services. Show it with your words. Sexually, men feel very loved after connecting sexually with their spouse. I know my wife loves me, but I don't feel it near as much in the other parts of our relationship as I do here. And so simply to bless each other and to strengthen the connection, the oneness, and to allow them to feel that they are loved. Sex creates intense intimacy like nothing else. Again, because of the bond, um, because it's called to unite. And so this is, again, designed to be the highest form of here is my body, my soul, and my spirit, and let's get as close as two people can get. It's a huge form of connection. In fact, there is a, oxytocin is a hormone released in our brains, and it's a bonding hormone. Um, I've heard of this before, but this is the first time I heard there's only two physical activities that a woman engages in that releases oxytocin, a bonding agent. One of them is breastfeeding, and one of them is sexual orgasm. It's designed to bond and to connect. Connection. Relationship. Sex is supposed to be fun and pleasurable. The text that we just read, it says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breast delight you at all times. Once again, this mirrors songs that we sing. This mirrors rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. God is a God who is most interested in our holiness, but he also loves happiness. He loves fun. He loves pleasure. Not at the extent or the cost of holiness, but this is designed to be fun and to be pleasurable. Sex is a protection. It protects both partners from sexual temptation outside of marriage. There's a number of needs that we have as people, some of them sexual, physical, emotional, mental. We have a lot of needs. And God is saying, I don't want you to just ignore one. I don't want you just to focus on one. If I ignore one, if I ignore the relational, emotional need of my spouse, it is 
tempting for her to go and get that need met elsewhere. Now, when that happens, God gives us, I believe, different holy outlets for that, whether that be to endure through that suffering and to allow this to drive me to prayer, or whether that means God surrounds you with other people that maybe can satisfy a spiritual need that when your husband isn't meeting, maybe the church meets that. Uh, Sexually, God has set parameters and rules. And so if I do not want, um, it's partly just common sense, I do not want to create a void in uh, the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife that would propagate temptation elsewhere. Now again, God, because God hasn't allowed that specific need to be met outside of that relationship. And there's good reason. It can bring tremendous freedom. For within the moment that you are so caught up in the mingling of your souls and your bodies with your spouse, and as you are, as Scripture would say, be intoxicated with that, in that moment, you are totally free from self-consciousness. And there's very, very few times in life that I think we're very free from self-consciousness. Wondering how we're perceived. Uh, Always guarded, always being careful what we present and how we present it. And this is tremendous freedom to, in, in a real sense, lose yourself. And there's very few places, very few moments in life that God has orchestrated all things to come together where if utilized and expressed according to his design, we get a taste of what it's like to totally lose yourself. Sex is a huge weapon against the enemy. I believe that our sexuality is in Satan's crosshairs, whether it be the spectrum of lust and the infiltration of pornography or whether it be the abuse that has caused us to totally shut down and withhold this from our spouse and everything in between. Uh, Satan has attacked this in a very, very real sense because he knows how deep this goes to each of our hearts and souls. He knows how closely this is tied to the way we see ourselves and to the way we relate to each other. So he has waged war on it. And I believe that he is all about robbing and killing and destroying. And one of the huge ways he does that is division. First, to divide me from God. That's what he's trying to do. And thank God that will never happen. Because of what Christ has done and sealed and bought and says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. But you can be sure that Satan, if he can do anything to get me to lose sight of my connection with God, he'll do it. He doesn't care if it's sex, drugs, rock and roll, or church and bake sales. He doesn't care. Anything to move you from God. And he's going to do the same thing in one of these high pictures, marriage, that is supposed to reflect and be a shadow of that. If he can divide it, he will. And so that's why he attacks our sexuality. And we are called to wage war against that. That's why I say that it is a declaration of oneness. When many things in your life are pulling you away from your spouse, there's times where I believe it's proper to use this as a declaration and to use this as a weapon to say, I'm not in the mood, I don't feel like it, but just like when I commit to pray when I don't want to, I'm going to engage or pursue sexually to declare to my own heart, to declare to my spouse, and to declare to the enemy that we are one. Why? Because God has said it is so. The flip side of our piece of scripture, do drink water from your own well, and then we go further and it says... 
Let your fountain be for yourself alone, not for a stranger with you. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So the flip side is don't drink water from another's well. Adultery is defined as voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. An adulteress is considered strange, foreign, prostitute, harlot. Sexual immorality, is the word, Greek word is pornonea, or fornication. It's sex outside of, illicit, outside of marriage. It's illicit or forbidden against the rules and customs. So why not engage in sex either before marriage or outside of marriage? A couple reasons. Ultimately, it's not because God's a fun hater and God wants to take this incredible, bonding, pleasurable, exciting, thrilling, deep-connecting, uh, closest two people can get and, and, and withhold that from anybody. Basically, he wants to take something that's precious, that's a treasure, that's beautiful, and he wants to keep it as such. You think about a wedding dress. You don't wear your wedding dress to garden before your ceremony, do you? No. Because the thought of ruining that dress before the purpose, the thought of ruining that dress before your wedding is foolishness. It's silly. You, can't, you couldn't stand the thought of it. And so there's no way you entertain that. It's to keep something that is precious, precious. Number two, one of the reasons, because it blinds you from being a good evaluator and critic. Now, within the context of a husband and wife covenant relationship and marriage, it's good that um, sex can kind of keep me from seeing all the negative. It helps me to focus on the positive. There's a lot of negative things about me. There's a lot of negative things about you. But there's a lot of times in the context of deep intimacy that those things don't matter, right? They get lost, and that's a blessing. But before marriage, outside of marriage, that's highly, highly dangerous. If you cannot evaluate clearly this individual that you're considering giving your life to, that's a, you're playing with fire. And we've all seen it. We all know the scenarios and the stories that we would continue to say, what does she see in him? Everyone around can see this guy is a, a joke. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. How can she not see that? Many, many times it's because sex in, is designed to bind, and so it blinds. And before marriage, that is not what you want. You're called to evaluate. You're called to critique. You're, you're getting ready to entrust yourself to someone. It distorts the image that is designed to reflect the picture of God and his church. Again, I believe sex is supposed to point to something beyond itself. I believe the main thrust, the main purpose of marriage is to reflect God and his purposes in relationship and unity with his church. And sex is an important part of that marriage. And so when we go outside of this covenant oneness... It is that we are not one with, then it, re, it distorts this image. It takes God saying, this is my purpose for it, and you have taken it outside of that purpose. We are all made in the image of God, designed to reflect God and to be vehicles and ambassadors to show him off to a world that can't see him. You are the visible representation of the invisible God, like Jesus the Son was of the Father. And Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so when we walk in accordance with our design, we give the world a picture of what God's like. When we go outside of that design, it distorts that image. Sex is wild and powerful and very dangerous. 
Anything this powerful is dangerous. And I believe the world has tasted the intoxicating power of it. And in turn, they have seen the power and they worship it. Where it has become the God. And it drives them and it enslaves them and it is never enough. And as the church, we are supposed to know the power, the intoxicating power, the wildness of it. And we're supposed to recognize that this is a gift from God. Uh, a Suzuki Hayabusa is one of the fastest crotch rocket super sport bikes there is. Nothing wrong with it, but it's very wild and it's very powerful. And if you've never ridden on a motorcycle and you get on one of these things, you're going to get hurt. You will get hurt. It's very, very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And so there's nothing wrong with the sport bike, but in the wrong context and in the wrong hands, it is highly dangerous because of the power it possesses. Our sexuality is the same. Sex is designed to be exclusive, and I believe that is why, one of the reasons why it's so powerful. Because it's so deeply intimate. You think about it, there's six billion plus people in the world, and I choose one to share this with, of all the people in the world, there is one person that I am this vulnerable, that I am this open, that I am this naked, that I am this exposed to, that I am this trusting of my body, my soul, and my spirit to. The uniqueness is part of what gives it such power and such beauty. This is why the scripture says, this isn't to be spread among the streets. Don't drink from other fountains. This is to be from your fountain. And notice, 1 Corinthians six seventeen through 19 says, But he who unites himself with the Lord is one Echad spirit with him. Three, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside his body, but he who sins sexually against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You see the connection. God sandwiches this idea of fleeing for sexual immorality between this idea that we are one with God and that we are temples of the Holy Spirit bought by the blood of Jesus. He wants to continue to remind us and show us that our spirituality and our sexuality are linked together. I pray that God would continue to redeem our picture of this. I pray that that would continue to be the first thing in our sight when we have a sexual urge, when we're exposed to sexual things, when we engage in sexual activities. Notice that it says, flowing water from your own well. When I think of flowing water, I think of something that's active. I think of something that's lively, uh, something that is fresh, something that is constant. It's continually moving. Uh, I believe that we are designed for relationships, and relationships are connection. And so I think we're always called to try to connect with people. Uh, one of the, the dangers when I counsel people is we can talk about a lot of incredible things. We can promote all kinds of healing and, and tear down strongholds of lies. But if that person leaves and they don't have any kind of connection, if they don't have anyone that they're pouring into or anyone that's pouring into them, if they're not involved in community, it doesn't last very long. We are called for relationship. We are called for connection. And I think in the context of a husband and a wife, in the context of Proverbs 5, where it says flowing water, 
I think I should constantly, just like flowing water, be looking for connection with my spouse. I should constantly be trying to think, how can I connect with Sherry? So that can be a text message in the middle of the day. Hey, just thinking about you. That can be a hand on her hand as we walk into a room. Anything that I can do to just get a connection. Or that can be pursuing her sexually. The other day, she was making Halloween costumes, sewing on the floor. I'm watching the World Series last night. And for just five minutes, she stopped and she came and she just sat by me. She doesn't care about the World Series. But it was such a... It was her bid of connection to me. It was her taking a step towards me, just sat next to me, put her hand on my leg. She went back to sewing. Pursuing relationships, pursuing connection, pursuing sex is very, very risky. Because it is a step towards somebody. And any time you take a step towards somebody, what are you risking? They may not return the favor. And there is nothing as scary as, as taking a step towards someone in total vulnerability. Complete nakedness. Complete openness. So two things. Realize how scary that is and realize the courage that it takes. And two, if you are the recipient of this step forward, handle that with tremendous sensitivity and tremendous care. Drink water from your own well. A couple very practical things on the how. Number one, the other person comes first. In line with all of Scripture, consider others as more important than yourself. Sexually, in a marriage relationship, the other person comes first. Two, because it's supposed to be regular, consistent, I think at a minimum twice a week we're to pursue this. We're to continue to make this active. You're not going to feel like it all the time. Sometimes that, for some of you, that's like, oh, man, that's a ton. Some of you, it's like, that's not near enough. Right. I know. I promise you, you are not the only person who has sexual struggles. Everybody does. Mix it up. It's supposed to have variation to it. Different times, different places, different ways. Lights on, lights off. Variation. Talk about this stuff. Communicate about this stuff. Again, I know this feels impossible for a lot of us. It's scary. But it's something that we're going to talk through about how do you do this with faith. Probably the summary of this whole thing. Connect in and out of bed. Between a husband and a wife, connect in bed and connect out of bed. And the order can change. Meaning, I believe that I am called to really strive to connect out of bed with my wife. For the whole saying, foreplay starts in the kitchen, like at 7 a.m. probably. It's the way that I pursue her emotional heart. It's the way that I pursue her relational heart. It's the it's way that I pursue her romantic heart. If I pursue that with kindness, service, loving affection, words, if I pursue her emotional heart, Oftentimes, that is going to promote pursuit of her sexual heart. It's not always like this, but, but women, I think God changes the way a man and the way a woman is designed for the purpose of having to get outside yourself and surrender to him. Women, I think if you pursue a husband's sexual heart, 
oftentimes that leads to the privilege of uncovering his emotional heart and his relational heart. And so we're designed to connect in the bedroom, and we're designed to connect outside of the bedroom. And sometimes I really focus on out, and I get in, and other times I focus on in to promote out. I believe that our sexuality is called to be presented to God, whether single, whether married, that we're to present that to God and submit that to Him as we are not our own in order to reflect and use that for His purposes. Scripture says that we are a people of faith. One definition of faith is trusting God when He says something to the point where I'm willing to act on it. I believe intimacy in whatever form is called to be a choice and an act of faith and obedience which means it has very little to do with whether I have a high sex drive or a low sex drive. It means if God has said this is something that's important, and I say, God, I trust you and I believe you know best and you know better than me, and so you know I'm going to need you to execute, to live through me and to empower this, so I'm going to choose to act on it. Now we're talking about worship. My wife packs lunches, school lunches for my kids, most every weekday. She does not have a high pack lunch drive. She doesn't just desire that. But she does it as an act of service and an act of love and an act of obedience. How many of you out there have a real high desire to forgive? It doesn't come just naturally. Oh man, my forgiveness drive is way up there, top of the charts. No, it's not. But when God says, when someone offends you, I'm asking you to forgive as God has forgiven you through Christ Jesus. And so the act of forgiveness is a choice by faith and obedience. Giving. Some of you like giving. Some of you, it's really hard, but you do it anyways. See, obedience and faith, giving, packing lunches, kindness, maybe talking. A lot of you are real quiet. Talking is really hard. Listening is really hard. This stuff has way more to do with me presenting myself to God than it does the activity or even the other person. And so I believe intimacy, I believe sex, can be and is designed to be an act of worship and an act of faith and an act of obedience. Sex points to something beyond itself. Sex is designed to be a picture of the gospel. The highest purpose of marriage is to reflect the gospel. And sex is a part of marriage. Again, you think about what it's like to be fully known and still loved. Where this is the gospel, right? Where God knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Where you're totally exposed before your creator, you're totally naked, you're totally vulnerable. And he loves you still because of the exchange that Christ has made took on your ugliness and given you his righteousness. Now we continue to have these insecurities and this shame and this guilt. And so to be vulnerable, but to know that you're fully accepted and you're fully loved and you're fully embraced and he takes pleasure in the fact that you're with him in that moment of intimacy, that's the gospel. And marital sexuality is supposed to look like that. scary. 
Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Undefiled means free from that which deforms it or debases it. It's undefiled, it's pure. Pure is done in love, kindness, considerate of others, act of worship. 1 Corinthians 7, 2-4 But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each wife her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and the wife likewise to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by an agreed period of time, limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The word deprive means to deny the use of something. So basically what this is saying is, first of all, it says, my body is not my own, it's my wife's, and I'm to give that to her. My wife's body is not her own, she's to give that to me. Notice it doesn't say demand. It says, this is, I'm called to give, I'm not called to demand. And I can't find anywhere in Scripture where we're called to demand something from someone and so it should be the same here is my wife's body mine yes but God says my command is for her to give to me it's not for me to take from her this doesn't mean that you can't have honest constructural conversations about that because again this is a two-way deal right and so if you're saying well wait you're just talking about the importance of this but what if my spouse isn't buying it and I know there's plenty of us sitting out there that that's the case I believe then something needs to be done about that. But here's the deal. Can we have honest, constructive conflict? In other words, if you're in a scenario like this, whether it's spiritual headship or whether it's withholding sexually, the mindset, and we don't have time to go into a ton of this, but the mindset is basically, this is wrong, let's solve it. This is wrong, which is honest, but let's solve it with grace and mercy and as a team. I think there's a lot of scenarios and a lot of situations, again, because of the attack of the enemy, that either your, your sex life has floundered or altogether disappeared, and there are lots of very, very, very understandable reasons that that has happened. If you're in this scenario, there's very understandable reasons that that has happened, but I believe it is a very, very bad idea. I think this is a place that we have to wage war against the enemy that we cannot surrender our sexuality, whether it be indulging in lust and adulterous activities or whether it be shutting it down and stifling it and withholding it in our marriages. We cannot surrender this part of our life to the enemy because it is crucial to relationship. It is crucial to your heart and your soul. It is crucial to our country. It is crucial to my kids. This is something that we have to wage war against our sin, whatever part of the spectrum we're at. It is going to be a huge fight. It is going to be an incredibly scary fight. It's going to take every amount of courage even just to face it, even to talk about it, to confront it, to engage in it. This is, this is something that we are desperate for Jesus to redeem and that we are desperate for him to involve himself in. This is something to go to your knees to pray through past hurts and wounds, to face present 
frustrations and struggles and cling hard to Jesus because this is part of the war and we cannot let it go so easily. John and Stacy Aldridge wrote a book called Love and War and he says, Sex is the climactic event of two hearts and souls that have already been coming together outside the bedroom and can't wait to complete the intimacy as deeply and possibly as they can. Ancient Jewish weddings, they had grand scenario, they had grand weddings. After the exchange of the vow, after they stood under basically a prayer shawl, after this great ceremony, um, all these things were exchanged among family and friends, and they were yet not married. They weren't officially married until they consummated their marriage, until they, they, they put the stamp on their marriage, they made it final, is when they had sex. And everyone would wait outside, and they'd go into the room and, and have sex. That seems weird to us, right? Um, and then they would come out, and there'd be a cheer, and they'd have a party for a week straight. And this is what would happen. Remember, the, Jesus' first miracle, water into wine? That was at a wedding. They ran out of wine, and he made gobs of it. It wasn't just for one day. Marriage, weddings were huge back then. But the interesting thing is you weren't married until you engaged in sex. And look what we've done with it. That's, that's the enemy. Look what you've done with it. Look what I've done with it. Look what's happened to us. Again, we're just touching on it today. But within your heart, beg God and ask God and pray over and pray through those wounds and that damage and the perversion. And I believe that God will show up. I believe that this is something that, that is, is worth the fight to take back because this sex points beyond sex. Sex is about the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I, I don't pretend to understand the details of uh, really the gospel and how a creator can become one with the creature. But I'm thankful that it's true, and I trust that it's true, and I experience it to be true. And I know all of us come with different relationships and different seasons of life and different backgrounds and paths. Um, but I thank you for community. I thank you that we can grow to know you more fully as a community. And I do believe that you have, as Hebrews says, to let marriage be held up with honor among all. And so I pray that you would protect our marriages. I pray that you would lead us into godly marriages. And I pray that you would redeem our sexuality, that we would present it before you as worship and obedience, and that you would truly invade that part of our lives um, to reflect your love, your unconditional acceptance of us, that all shame and all guilt would be taken away uh, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.